Well, good morning, New Life Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you here. I also want to welcome you if you're on the other side of the screen. Whether here or there, pull out your Bibles, put them on your laps. The words and message of this book are of utmost importance, and I very much desire for you to be familiar with them, even as they lay on the page. So have those at the ready. We are again walking through our gospel series, 50 Days of Delighting in Jesus Together. This morning we are going to look at maybe the most obvious example of what is produced by the gospel, but also perhaps the most neglected or assumed or forgotten. The sun, and I'm talking about that big blazing orb in the sky, the sun is of obvious importance and significance. But until I am asked about it, I often forget it is there, right? If asked whether, or if asked what is an essential, essential ingredient in the air we breathe, I would likely be able to tell you oxygen, very important, necessary. But I often forget about it. As those who live under the truth of the gospel, we live under the rays of the sun of God's love. Amen? All the actions I take are given breath because of the love of God. Amen? All that I do as an heir of the kingdom is given possibility because of God's love. And love produces love. Or maybe we say, or it should. It should produce love. No, it must. Love produces love. Every single day, I am given an opportunity to love a brother or sister. Every single day, you are given an opportunity to love a brother or sister. We are given an instance to sacrifice ourselves for a fellow believer in Christ. And if one's mind is not pitched that direction... The idea of love becomes a word that is said or a truth that is affirmed, but not an action that is taken. Am I the only one with that? John says in this letter in another place, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And perhaps this is what is happening in the context of 1 John and why this passage is so straightforward and so simple. Perhaps they forgot, lost sight of, assumed in a detrimental way the love of God and then lost its grandeur and thus lost its implications, their love of others. This morning, let us be reminded together the love of God produces love in the beloved. The love of God is the good news, right? And that love produces love in the beloved. That is the hypothesis, nay, the firm assertion of the passage this morning. And it is laid out in simple brilliance. In the original outline, as I was looking at the the Greek words put together on the page, the original outline of it has seven and ten almost blocked out in a poetic fashion, like you would block out psalms. And then eleven and twelve are in normal prose. It's almost like there's a, there's a poem or there's a song about God's love and then a response or a reiteration of those words in 11 and 12. And we're going to look at it that, that way. We're going to look at 7 through 10, then we're going to look at 11 through 12. So let's start with that maybe poem, maybe song, um, whatever poetic, poetic beauty about the love of God. 
and 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Let us love. Love is from God. John, the, the writer of 1 John, the writer of the Gospel of John, which we read at the beginning of the service, the writer of the book of Revelation, he talks a lot about love. For God so loved the world. It's, it's there, John 3, 16. You know it. For God so loved the world. That's, that's, those are the words of John. He even described himself in his own book as the one who Jesus loved. He was a disciple of Jesus. He sat with him and ate with him and watched Jesus literally love the world through his actions. He knew he was loved by Jesus and it defined him. And that natural outpouring of his pen is love for the brotherhood, love for the church and the recipients of this letter, the people who are loved by God. Love is in his vocabulary, and here he addresses the church and says, Beloved, those who are loved. If you catch anything from this morning, it is my prayer that you understand that you are loved. Because if you understand that, then you understand the gospel. What is the gospel if not the wonderful news that God loves you? Beloved, let us love one another. Those who are beloved, those also loved by God. Everyone turn to your left. Okay, come on, turn to your left, turn to your left, there you go. Now turn to your right. Now look behind you. Now look in front of you. All those people you just laid your eyes on are your one another's. Those fellow people also loved by God. And John says, let us love one another. Well, duh. That's just assumed, isn't it? Of course we love each other. Of course we're supposed to love each other. Yeah, yeah, like the sun. It's there somewhere, important, something, something, oxygen, I don't know. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Let us do that action that comes from God himself. The action of love is from God. One does not naturally love this way. One does not stumble upon this type of loving posture. One needs to be radically changed, made new. It takes an act of rebirth. Born of God, knowledge of God, to love like John is appealing that we love. It takes an encounter with God to love all you people. And I would venture to guess that many of you sitting in this room would say, Yes, I have been born of God. I am born again. I know God. I belong to God. I am connected to Jesus. Beloved, love one another. This is the good and reasonable outpouring of those born of God, made new by God. There is a necessary connection between your being loved by God and your loving one another. And John says, anyone who does not love does not know God. 
because God is love. To not love is to not know God. No God, no love. I think sometimes we fall into this trap. I'm supposed to love people. Of course I am. And we set ourselves up to avoid being hostile to people. I am loving because I haven't yelled at anybody today. I just avoided them instead. I haven't said the thing that's in my heart. I haven't voiced the anger or the frustration or the annoyance that I have. I held my tongue. I am not hostile. Thus, I am loving. And we can set up our lives in selfish, self-centered ways that are socially unobtrusive, but do not have the flavor of love. If you are not loving people, you do not know God. Is that harsh? That is what John is saying. And I would rather say that in a stark way rather than coddle you. Because I know the God who loves sinners. And if you are not connected with him, today is the day. If you are not loving people, you do not know God. What does it mean to love? Well, what is love? This is the Greek word here in this passage. It's agape. You may have heard this before, but there are several words in the Greek. That's the original language of the New Testament part of this book right there. And there are several words in the original language that are translated as love in our English Bible. There's phileo, which is a friendly affection or brotherly affection. There's eros, which is more of a passionate or a sexual love. There is storge, or a familial affection. And there is this word agape. The, if you were to open up the dictionary, and what's the definition of this? It would say affection based on high regard. Well, that's stilted. Who, who talks like that? But the biblical writers took God's love for his people and use this word as the referent for what God has done, is doing, and will do with his actions, almost co-opting it for their purposes. So in the pens of the writers of Scripture, and especially John, it takes on the flavor of the kind of love that takes initiative to meet the needs of those who don't deserve it. To love this way is to take the initiative, to take action necessary to meet the needs of those who don't deserve it. Sounds like God, doesn't it? There is action in agape. There is action in this kind of love. There is not mere distant affection or word of commitment. There is self-sacrifice in this kind of love. There is commitment and disadvantaging yourself in this kind of love. That sounds like God to my ear. You need to know God to know this kind of love. And if you do not love this way, you do not know God. Because God is love. This kind of action towards those who do not deserve it is in the character of God himself. Love flows from the character of God. God is love because if you look to God, all his actions and all his character radiate this love, this agape. 
All God's actions are informed by his love. He is the fountain and the foundation of love. And hear me clearly, love is not God. There is a misinformed spirit of the age that will say that some nebulous idea of love is divine. And if we all just love each other, everything will be fine. All you need is love, right? Wrong. What kind of love were you singing about, Beatles? Are you singing or talking about the self-sacrificing love of the redeeming creator of the universe? No, that is not the song. That's not what they were singing about. First, love is not God. And second, love cannot be gained by our action aside from the loving God we have revealed to us here in Scripture. And as we will see, the love he made manifest on the cross. God is the source of that love and it cannot be gained without him. You need to be attached to the God of love because you, before you can love with the love of God. You need to be attached to the God of love before you can love with the love of God. Well, how does one love this way? What does it look like? John definitely wants to tell you about that. In verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. God revealed his love, giving his Son. This is love revealed. This is how love was made manifest. This is how it was made crystal clear to us. Have you ever doubted whether God loves you? When life is hard, suffering is present, when you can't seem to catch a break, when work is a panic-inducing stressor, when family is nothing but strained or neglected relationships, when the sickness doesn't go away, or the whole world is in a pandemic, does God even love me? Doubt is real, friends. Uncertainty is certain. But this is where you go. This should be the bedrock foundation to which you run when that doubt occurs. Does God love me? He made it clear. He made it manifest. God sent his only son into the world. This is love revealed. He sent his only son, and his name is Jesus. He sent Jesus to a people with a need, with sin in our hearts and death in our future, and he sent Jesus to us that we might live through him, that we might trade death for life, disconnection for connection, dejection for delight, certain doom for secured inheritance. This is what love looks like. God showed up. God shows up to be with us. He set aside his rights and his dues and said, I am sending Jesus to be with them. 
And Jesus said, I'm going to be with them. Elsewhere it says, Jesus emptied himself. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He set it all aside to come to us, to show up. This reality of his love is brilliant like the sun. Can you feel the warmth and see the brightness? This love is amazing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loves you. And he didn't just send you a text message to tell you. He didn't just send a little heart emoji. He didn't just write a letter. He sent his son. His one and only son. To come get you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And it is made clear to you because he came to you. He showed up. He loves you. There's more. In verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins friends the gospel is that God showed up to love you and he didn't come to people already loving him the story of the gospel is not oh look at them they love me what nice folk I'm going to go to them and love them as well because they love me That would make sense to us, right? That is our normal mode of operation. You love me, of course I love you. You, We can be friends. You can do things for me. I can do things for you. This is a mutually beneficial arrangement. This is love. This is not what John is talking about. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And friends, you know this story. It is not that we were ambivalent. We were enemies. We were rebels. We were sinners bent away from God. And it is in our greatest need, in the midst of our rebellion, that God shows up for us. You see, Jesus the Son is described here as a propitiation. A fancy word that refers to a sacrifice for atonement. A fancy phrase that means your sin has earned the righteous and just wrath of God. And God set up a sacrifice to deal with that wrath so you don't have to. Sin is every slip of the heart to do what ought not be done. Every lie and lust, every act of anger or curse of anger in your heart. Every time you neglect a neighbor rather than love a neighbor. Every throwing of your weight and praise and worship to things created by God instead of God himself. You may have a light view of your sin, a wrong, minimizing view of your sin, but God does not. Every love of your heart ought to be rightly bowed to him, and you and I both know that they're not. 
And he sees it in all of its evil rebellion, and he justly hates it. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit look rightly at you, sinful rebels with brokenness in your hearts, and your affections turned to other things and other gods and said, we hate your sin. It deserves wrath. It deserves punishment. It deserves death. And the love of God is made manifest in that God showed up to rebels and put himself in their place. Jesus is the propitiation for your sins. Jesus is the sacrifice for your sins. Jesus endured the wrath for your sins. Jesus endured death for your sins. Jesus died the death for his enemies because he loved them, because he loves you. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loves you. Jesus loves you. I can't come up with illustrations to better explain the magnitude of his love for you. How could I better paint a picture of his one and only son sacrificed for you? What better gift could be given to prove his love for you? What greater price could be paid to convince you of his love? God loves you. Jesus loves you. And it is made clear in that Jesus showed up. Jesus died for us. Jesus endured the wrath of the Trinity against our sin for us. God loves you with a wonderful, effective, acted-out love. It is not theoretical. It is not distant. It is not aloof. It is reality and written in the ink of the sacrifice of family for you. God loves you. What do you do with that information? How do you respond to this type of poetry? John reiterates it and starts again from the beginning. In verse 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We owe love as the loved of God. Beloved, those loved by God, if God loved us, and did he? Yes. And how do we know? Jesus. If God loved us, we also ought to love one another. The love of God is too great to terminate on us. We are not simply recipients of the love of God, but conduits. We are not merely enjoyers of the love of God, but dispensers. We ought to. There is an obligation to our status as those connected to Jesus to love like Jesus loves. We ought to look like those who are loved by God. And what does that mean? 
It means you show up. You belong to the one who showed up. So you show up. You sacrifice yourself for another. It means I'm going to set aside my rights and my wants and my desires in order to love you who have a need. I am aware that you don't deserve my love or service or care, but I belong to Jesus. And I deserve none of his service or love or care. But he has given me the grace anyway. We are not merely a social club sitting here. Our connection is not merely friendly affinity. Though there is no doubt friendly affinity. Some of you like some of you. But our love is defined by something greater. The sacrificial love of God. Beloved, if God so loved us, and he did, we also ought to love one another. Jump in. Just start. Set yourself aside for the good of someone else. This is giving up your time to love others. This is showing up to be with your community even when you don't want to. This is giving of time and talents and treasures for the good of another because I see that need. They need something. I can give it for them. I love them. I see my wife do this all the time. I want to take dinner to them. I see they have a need. We have a need? What are you talking about? More more loving. I see this every time a tradesman or skilled person in our church leverages what they know to love a a member of this congregation. They know how to fix that wire or fix that wall or deal with that lawn and this, this person can't do it. I've seen people navigate the difficult and confusing paperwork of healthcare for someone or helping them with money or budget or how do we do these things? I don't know. Love is sitting in the emergency room with the brother that needs someone to sit with them in the wee hours of the night. It's praying alongside the one who has the bad diagnosis and pleading for God to intervene. It is the bearing with every different opinion or preference and dealing with it and conversing nonetheless rather than avoiding the relationship. It is hearing the confession of sin and forgiving because I love you. None of this is easy, but it is the obligation of those loved by God. We are conduits, not mere recipients of his love. Loving is hard. Loving sinners is hard. But this book has been written to deal with that conflict. And since the beginning of the birth of the church, we've been dealing with that conflict. In Romans, Paul addressed a scenario of conflict. One group of believers, the beloved, were fine eating the food that was sacrificed by the pagans to the gods. Doesn't matter to me, they said. Those silly little gods are no big deal. It's no skin off my nose. And hey, I get really cheap steak. I like steak. And another group of believers, the beloved, had previously been those pagans, sacrificing the meat and the thought of going to that place and buying that meat and enjoying that meal was too much for their conscience. 
too much for their hearts. Paul says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul is saying we are not our own anymore. Our life is wrapped up in the life of Christ. And thus even our freedoms are directed by the love of God given to one another. The love of God made this body, made this people. In 1 Corinthians he says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he's referring to this situation, Will he not be encouraged? And if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. In this situation, love means I step toward my brother and I love my brother even if it means I don't get the cheap steak. The strong one takes on the bigger sacrifice. There is conflict of thinking in this situation, conflict of opinion in this situation, conflict of facts as perceived on the ground. And this community of Christ, in the midst of all that difficulty, is defined by love. I will sacrifice myself for the good of my brother. I will give of myself for the good of my sister. Knowing you will one day stand before the God that loves you and give an account about you condu- how you conduct yourself. The church has been dealing with the difficulty of loving one another for a long, long time. And it's no different now, right? Right? This thing right here is an opportunity to love each other. As you know, may know, the rules around masks have changed. Our posture as a church has been to follow the authority God has put over us. That doesn't mean we like it. That doesn't mean we are chipper about it. It means we submit. It isn't submission if you want to happily do it. It does mean when the governor changes her governance, we have changed how we do things around here. And now the rules in the state of Oregon are changing. And if you are fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. So next week, things will look different. I know in this room, there are different opinions about vaccines, different postures, different assumptions. The facts as perceived on the ground are different for many of you. I would much prefer that we all had the same freedom at the same time. It would be a whole lot easier. But going forward, the freedom afforded to each person is going to be different. And this moment can be taken as an opportunity to assert your confidence in your opinion 
and look askance at everyone who thinks differently than you or has done differently than you. You can take this as an opportunity to finally do what you want to do. Or, beloved, you can take this as an opportunity to love. I could foresee situations that would cause a brother or sister to be tempted to sin by the way I wear or not wear a mask. I have freedom to not wear, but there may be an opportunity to love the beloved by wearing it. I'm just perceiving my own life, thinking about my own life. There will be temptation to get angry with a brother or sister that thinks differently than you. There has been for the last year and a half temptations to be angry because someone thinks differently than you. And now I think the pressure is increasing. In the words of John are the same. Beloved, love one another. Because we know I can take out my frustration with the government on my life group or Sunday service or my family. Or I can take out my frustration with people's frustration with the government on my life group or my Sunday service or my family. I can just decide to not show up anymore. Oh, church, love the beloved. This body of people for whom God set aside his rights, God showed up for you. That love is great and it flows through you. Love one another. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Does this mean I will deal with people that bother me or are different than me? I may finally have to talk about the things I've been avoiding and deal with my fellow beloved, sacrifice myself for them, my comfort for them, my preferences for them. Yeah. Does it mean I, be, I may be rubbed the wrong way or have to put my own needs on the back burner? Yeah, that's love. <laughs> Does it mean I will have to deal with other people's sin? Yeah. And they'll have to deal with your sin. <laughs> Elsewhere in Scripture it says, confess your sins to one another. God is not done working on us, New Life Church. This pandemic has not caught him by surprise. And his sovereignty and providence in the lives and hearts of each of you has not been thwarted. God is doing something with us. We have a community defined by, inaugurated by, empowered by the God who came to sinners and died for them. And he is not done working. We have a God who is in the business of reconciling all people. And he is making himself known through us. Verse 12 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. The invisible God abides and perfects his love in us. 
God, we have not seen him as he is. We have seen God the Son. But the Trinity in all its glory, no one has seen the Trinity. No one has looked on God the Father so they can describe him. We worship the invisible God. But if the community of the invisible God loves one another, God abides in us and makes himself known through us. Don't you want that? He makes himself visible to the world around us by his love through us. Again, we are a conduit, not just recipients of God's love. And God's love is such that it can reveal who God is. God's love is made clear in the sending of his son and God is made clear by his love being manifested in us. God is doing something in us, New Life Church. God's love is perfected in us, made mature, made complete, brought to its proper end. There is a maturity and completion that has not yet been attained by the love of God and will be made known through his love being worked out in each of you. This is amazing. We get to be participants in the project of making the love of God perfected. You get to participate. God making himself known to others. God is still doing work and he is using us as the conduits to love one another so that his love is completed in ways before it had not been. God's love has not been perfected in us yet. New Life Church. There is more to God's love that needs to be revealed and made known in us. New Life Church. God is working love to perfection in us. Can you feel the rays of the sun? And he will accomplish what he puts his mind to. Ours is not a love that is self-centered, but seemingly loving because it is not hostile. God is transforming all of his beloved to a love that is sacrificing for others. He has sacrificed himself for you and will reflect that love to the world by your sacrifice and love for one another. The love of God produces love in the beloved for the beloved. This is the gospel. God is working his love in his people. Beloved, love one another. New Life Church. I think there are three potential postures in response to the truth of the love of God. There might be more. You can talk to me after. First, a posture of, oh no. I do not know the love of God. I am a bent rebel against him. And to that I say, friend, Jesus loves you and died to secure your redemption. The solution to your dire station is the gospel. Accept the love of God. Another may be you sitting there thinking, I just have anger in my heart. I don't want to love people. They make me angry they make me frustrated, I'm annoyed, I don't want to love them. Friend, Jesus loves you. 
and died to secure the propitiation for your sin. The gospel is for you. Accept the humbling love of God. Or maybe you sit there and say, I know the love of God, but I've forgotten the importance of love. It's in the back of my mind. I don't love like I ought. I want to love, but I don't know how to love. I know I'm selfish. Friend, Jesus loves you and died to secure your sanctification and is perfecting God's love in you. The gospel is for you. See the brilliance of the love of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are aware that we are deficient and broken in many ways, and I ask that you turn our hearts in such ways that our response to our lack of love would be to run to you, the God of love, and ask you to put love in us and flow love through us to others. Allow us to see with such clarity the magnitude and beauty of the love of God. And may it overwhelm our hardness and selfishness. May we see no other reasonable action but to love one another in sacrificial ways because of the way we have been loved. In the name of the one who loved us even to death, the selfless Jesus Christ. Amen.